when Mel came up here last week, and anybody who, who wasn't here, who didn't listen, uh, Mel just had some very encouraging words to, to say. And, and one of the things that he brought up is, I, I think, something that's been, it's been touched on a number of times in the last month or so, and it's, it's that uh, times have been hard. Things have been wild. COVID and post-COVID has, has been a, um, a, a kind of context that most of us have never had to navigate before. Uh, and it was weird in our personal lives. It was weird in the church. Um, and the, the, the particular word that he used was, was something along the lines of that we're, we're dealing with something that we're not able to manage. Uh, and there's, there's multiple facets of that, obviously. There's multiple levels of that. It's true in the church. It's true in our own personal lives. Um, I have, I've met with many of you in the last month or so, and, and you've shared with me your own particular situation, your own personal story of something is, has occurred and you're just in over your head. And when Mel, Mel said that last, last Sunday, and, it, and it, this John 19 jumped out at me because we had just covered John 19 in the men's Bible study. Um, last week, a group of guys got together. I, I had a, a men's Bible study, and we went through John in seven days, which is a, a bit foolish because you, have to, you, know, you can't really do that. But, you know, we did what we could, and it was, it, was, it was time well spent, but we had just covered chapter 19 that morning, and I thought, man, you know, it, there's, there's stuff in John 19 that I think is really easy to miss, um, but it's, it is the, it is the, oh, it is just the meat of what causes me to worship Jesus. It's not just John 19, but John 19 is a, is a big, is a, a, <laughs> a big piece of that pie, um, it shows that what we see in John 19 is despite whatever circumstances are at play, and, and Josh just mentioned in his prayer, he said, we, the victory is ours because Jesus has been victorious, and our problem is that we get caught up in all the details. We get caught up on the, but what about tomorrow? What about tomorrow? What about, what about this thing that I don't know how to navigate? What about, what about this thing that right now is so far, but I, I can't manage it? as Mel said. And what I love about this story in John 19 is that it shows us the power, the love, and the control of Jesus Christ. And it's the circumstances that we find ourselves in, you know, who, could, who can guess where we're going to be this time tomorrow, this time next year, you know, we never know. But what is certain is our Savior. And John 19 just makes it so explicitly clear that whenever, I'm, whenever my heart is dry during worship, I think of really John 18 and John 19. Um, so I'm just going gonna, gonna to read most of the chapter this morning and just make a few comments here and there. Um, so just, just follow along with me, and, um, and then we'll, we'll answer back into worship. So chapter 19 is... Uh, where Jesus is being delivered over to Pilate. And at this point in the story, from chapter 13 to chapter, to really to the resurrection, it just all seems bad. The disciples are bummed out. Jesus even says, I, Jesus says of himself, he says, I am troubled. Uh, all of their hopes and dreams seem to have completely turned to ashes right before their face. Uh, and, now, and now Jesus in the upper room discourse, the last night that he's with his disciples, he's, he keeps telling them over and over and over that he's going to leave and that they can't come with him where he's going. And they don't get it yet. Even after his resurrection in John chapter 20, it says that Peter and John saw that the, his body wasn't there, but yet they did not understand the scriptures that he had to raise from the dead. So they're still very much in the dark. And when all their understanding is, okay, three and a half years into this thing, 
nothing's worked out the way that we thought, and now you're leaving, and we can't go with you. And stop saying that you're going to die. We don't like that. Like, nothing seems to be working out. Um, and then it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse from there. And where we pick up the story in John 19 is Jesus has been arrested. His, his mock trial, the joke of a trial, false, false witnesses brought forward to him. No, no evidence. No, it, Jesus is completely innocent, and yet they just keep pushing him through to get him executed. And now he stands before Pilate. And so chapter 19, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. And Pilate went out again and he said to the people, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Even, even a Roman governor, he didn't use the words, but he knew that Jesus was, was, was spotless. Jesus is the spotless lamb. And Pilate knew something was up. I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Now, just, just notice, this is, this is just so fascinating. They put a crown of thorns on his head. Does anybody know where thorns originated? In the, in the, in the, cur in the fall. In the curse. In, G in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, it says, the Lord says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it will bring for you. So the spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world is wearing the emblem of the curse on his head. The Romans just intended to mock him and hurt him. But Jesus was doing more than, met the, than, than people realized in this moment. And that just continues to be true and, and all, the way, all the way to the end. So the chief priests and the officers saw him and they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, and he entered the headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer, and Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? But, but to that, Jesus made a response. Jesus said to that, <clears throat> you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. You would have no authority over me at all unless it was allowed, unless I allowed you to have authority over me. That's a mic drop. And it just goes to show that Jesus is not a victim Jesus, this, this arrest, this is not failure. Jesus is in control. Jesus knows what's happening. He came here to do this. He's allowing this to happen. And it's interesting in John 18, these big, bad Roman soldiers show up. You know, I mean, these are the Navy SEALs of the day. They're trained in the land. They're trained in the sea. They're trained with spear and with javelin. They wear 50 pounds of armor. They train to fight with fake weapons twice the weight of their actual weapons. So when they were in battle, they would be that much more nimble and quick. And Jesus speaks a word in John 18, and at his word, they fall down on the ground. Jesus is letting this happen. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame. You would have no power over me unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, 
If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes, him, who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, and he sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic is called Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, Well, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answers, We have no king but Caesar. <clears throat> and so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to a place called the Place of the Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him with two others, one on either side, and Jesus in between them. And Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am King of the Jews. But Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided him into four parts, one part for each soldier, and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one place from top to bottom. And they said to one another, let's not tear it, but let's cast lots for it to see who, whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the scripture that says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That's Psalms 22, verse 18. And so the soldiers did these things. You know, it's, it's interesting, that, that note right there that John includes here. And so the soldiers did these things. It, there's been a lot of, a lot of um, conjecture about why, why John wrote that. And what it seems to be is that he's just still, all these years later as he's writing this down, he's just in shock, you know, that, that Jesus was innocent. His trial, if you can call it that, was a complete fabrication. The witnesses that were brought against him were paid to do so, and then their testimony didn't even line up. And it, it would have been the easiest thing to, for somebody in authority to go, this isn't real. Um, try again. And release Jesus. And Pilate even tried. It went all the way to the Roman governor, and yet the people pushed and they pushed, and, the, and they pushed, and Jesus not only was spit on and hit and beaten, but then he was, he was, he was flogged, he was whipped, most likely the, with the cat of nine tails, with bone and glass in it, shredding his back. And then he was, had to carry his own cross, and now he's actually crucified, and the, he's being made fun of and jeered at. The Gospel of Matthew makes it very clear that the entire time, Jesus is being made fun of, he's being spit on, he's being mocked. And it's like John is just saying, yeah, and the soldiers, they actually did these things to Jesus. Verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and, his disciple, and the disciple whom he loved, that's John himself, standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Now, I want to just note for a minute, my whole point here this morning is to, point, is, is, to, is to highlight how awesome Jesus is. 
And it's, I, I don't know if we actively think this. I'm not, this, this may not be something that you have, a, a thought that you've grabbed a hold of and um, have pondered or, or given any consideration whatsoever, but if there was ever a time that God in the flesh, the Word become flesh and tabernacling among us, if there was ever a moment when He did lose control, when He was in a, in a place that was beyond what He could manage, this is it. This is it. Now, maybe he knew it was coming, and he's, he's volunteering for this. He, he knows what's going to happen, and he's doing it anyways. But all the same, I, I sort of had this, it was sort of an unspoken thing where I just kind of assumed, like, well, yeah, here Jesus is out of control. He's, he, he is, he's, he, things, circumstances are beyond his control. And as we were, as I, as I was teaching through John a couple years ago, and really doing a deep dive into chapter 19, I realized that that's, that's not true at all. He is in control every, every moment he's in control. And one of the ways that you see it is look at where he's at. He's dying on a cross, and still he's fixing things for people. He's dying on the cross. He's most likely naked. He's mutilated beyond human recognition, and he's hung with iron nails onto a wooden cross, and he's making things better for people. He saves the thief next to him. When he's being nailed to the cross, he cries out, Father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's a forgiveness that he's making possible in this very moment. And then he even makes sure, most, it's, 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 all, it's, it's never stated, but it's certainly that his, his earthly father, Joseph, is dead at this point. So there's no mention of him beyond the earliest uh, parts of Jesus' childhood. And uh, he, he, he makes sure that his mom has a place to live with John. So Joseph is out of the picture, but... Jesus is making things better for people still. You ever thought about that? Bloodied and beaten beyond recognition, hanging on a cross, and he's still fixing things for other people. Praise God. I don't know where y'all are at. I don't know what you're dealing with. I know, that I, I, know some of, I know some of you, some of us, are in the throes of pain and, and mystery right now. We've been talking about it quite a bit. Some of you are in that nowhere place. You're, you're longing for what was Sodom and Gomorrah. Or you're, you're too afraid to step into the mystery of the future that the Lord is leading you into. It's something bad has happened. The diagnosis is, is terminal. There's, there's been a financial reversal, something. And I can't speak to every one of those situations, but whatever your situation is, all I, all I want to do this morning is, is point out, highlight that this is the Jesus who is with you in the middle of that storm. Here he is. This is your king. This is the kind of king that he is. Even in the midst, I mean, if there is any time for someone to be selfish, it's here, and he's not. He's thinking of the ones that he loves. And so verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Oh, and man, we could spend so much time on that. But a jar full of sour wine stood there, and so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. Does that, does that word hyssop call anything to mind? Is anybody, does anybody know what that's connected to? This is unbelievable. Jesus is the Passover lamb, the actual lamb who can take away sins. He is the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is what John the Baptist said of him. And they're crucifying him just before Passover. 
and they're using a hyssop branch to bring a sponge to his mouth. In Exodus chapter 12, um, <laughs> the original Passover takes place. The Israelites are in Egypt, and the Lord instructs them, paint blood over your lamppost or over your doorpost of your house, and the angel of death will pass over you. It's a pass over, and you will be saved. And you remember what they painted the blood with? A hyssop branch. Guys, this is the word of God. Every detail is incredible if you just take the time to pay attention. So they put it on a hyssop branch and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So Jesus says to Pilate, you have no power over me except that it's been given to you for, for a minute. Jesus says in John 10, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus was never out of control. He knew what was going to happen and he was controlling the situation every step of the way. And even here, it says that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That word for bowed his head, he bowed, is the word klino or klino, and it means to lay or to rest. It's the same word from Luke chapter 9 when a man comes up to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says to him, foxes have holes or dens and birds of, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to clino, and has no place to lay his head or rest his head. I, I believe that Jesus died exactly when he wanted to. He gave up his spirit because he died at exactly the right moment. Check this out. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, verse 31. So the bodies could not remain on the cross, for it was the Sabbath, and the Sabbath was a high day. So what's happening here culturally is that this was a Sabbath day that was just before the week of Passover, so it was considered the high day. And Deuteronomy 21 says that anyone who's, who is hung on a tree is cursed. And so here's these, you know, to, every, to, the, to the onlookers, who's, here's three men who are hanging on the cross, and they need to get those bodies down to not defile the land before Passover. Now, typically, the Roman crucifixion, the Romans were real good at killing people long and slow and very painfully. And so crucifixion was, is designed in such a way to be maximally painful but keep you alive for as long as possible. And it could take sometimes three days to die on the cross. And the Jews were like, we can't have that. We can't have these guys hanging on the tree. So we need to expedite this process. And so notice this. The Jews asked Pilate that the legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. And so the soldiers came. So the Jews asked Pilate, which means that Pilate gave the orders to his men to break the legs of these three, of these three crucified men. And so they went to the first and they broke his legs and then the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. And so they did not break his legs. But instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. And he who saw this has borne witness, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that also you may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. That's, that's, uh, Genesis, that's, excuse me, that's Psalms 34, 20. It says, he shall keep all his bones, and none shall be broken. And again, another scripture that says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. 
That's Zechariah 12.10. So just pause and, and gather again in the moment what's happened here. Jesus knows that he's, that he's got to be dead quickly. Otherwise, they'll break his legs. Prophecy said his bones will not be broken. Psalms 34. Also says that he will be pierced. Zechariah 12.10. So Jesus dies at the exact right time so that his legs are not broken, but instead he's thrust through with a spear. But you know what's also interesting here? This is my, oh, this is my Jesus, man. <laughs> Jesus said to Pilate, you have no authority over me. Even in death, Pilate had no, even Jesus' dead body hanging on the cross was more powerful than all the manpower that Pilate had because Pilate gave a direct order, go break their legs. And if you've studied the Romans at all from back then, they weren't one to break an order. Jesus is already dead, I don't care. Boss said break his legs. They defied a direct order and didn't break his legs and instead fulfilled prophecy and pierced his side. Jesus is in control. Every step of the way, he's fulfilling prophecy. He's providing us our salvation. He's taking the punishment of sins. He's giving his mom a place to live. He is love. <laughs> and John 13, as he's washing, the, right before he washes the disciples' feet, John writes that he loved his own. He loved them till the end. And here we have it seen. Pilate had no authority over him. Even in death, he had no authority over him. Break his legs. And the Lord said, no, you won't break his legs. And it didn't happen. And instead he was pierced. It's fascinating. It's, it is, it's worship causing to understand that even when it seems like this, maybe, this, maybe if there was a moment when Jesus lost control, this would be it. And it's not true. Even here he's in control. He gave up his spirit. His legs were not broken. And his side was pierced. And so... <clears throat> There's, the, there's the, the, the power of Jesus, the control of Jesus, the wisdom of Jesus. This is the Jesus who is with you in your storm. He is in the boat with you, friends. This is, this is him. But there's also, there's also a beautiful, I think of it kind of like a, a, I think of it as kind of like a melody or a song that's playing. Because here in the middle of this torture, in the middle of this carnage, in the middle of this bloodbath, in the middle of all of this inhumane treatment, that Jesus is receiving, I'm not sure if anybody could hear it, but Psalm 34 was playing. There, there, was, there was a song playing. Everything looked bad. The ground was covered in blood. Everybody had a bad attitude. The disciples were freaked out. No doubt Jesus' mother is choking suffocatingly on her own tears. Jesus is in, is in, is in ribbons. But there is just the faintest note of hope that was playing and it's because his bones were not broken. Psalms 34, I like to think of it as the song of Golgotha. Even at a place as horrendous as Golgotha, the hope of the Lord was still there. You see, the, the Bible has quite a bit to say, actually, about bones. Bones are mentioned quite a bit. And I just have a few examples here written down. Um, and I mean, not to, I mean, first of all, the, the psalmist said that the, that, that the Messiah's bones would not be broken, and that's because in Exodus 12, concerning the Passover lamb, remember the Passover lamb had to be without spot, without blemish, uh, and it says in, in Exodus 12, 46, that none of its bones shall be broken. 
And whenever you're, whenever you're killing the animal, whenever you're sacrificing the animal, even then you shall not break any of its bones. In Genesis 50, Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones from here. Exodus 13, 19 says, Moses did take the bones. He took the bones of Joseph. For Joseph made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall take my bones from here. One of the last paragraphs of Joshua in chapter 24 says this, As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem. And in Hebrews 11, verse 22, it says, By faith Joseph made mention of the exodus and of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. And finally, famously, Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones. Ezekiel says that he was taken up in the spirit. He was brought to a valley that was just full of dry bones. And the Lord said to him, do you think that these bones can live? And Ezekiel says, Lord, Lord, you, you know. And the Lord said, prophesy over these bones and life will, I will breathe life into them and they will grow flesh and they will grow sinews. And the, the valley of dry bones comes up to be a mighty army. And the imagery here is that where the bones are not broken, the hope of resurrection is in the midst. And <laughs> that is not a mistake. There at Golgotha, where the Son of Man hung dead, hope was not lost. Jesus was in control. His bones were not broken. There, even, even there, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how hard the storm rages, no matter how unsavory the circumstances or, or how brutal the relationship, whatever it is, friends, all I'm trying to say is this is Jesus. Nothing, nothing is too much for him, and he's with you. Even, even there, I mean, imagine, um, just try to imagine the scene. Jesus is dead, hanging on a cross. I mean, this, this is what's happening. What, what's happening here? He's, he's dying. Like, this is, what, this is what you're looking at. But, but what's he doing? It's not the same thing. He's, he's actually making for us gateways to life. He's preparing a place for us. He said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. It's not because heaven needs like a French drain put in or something. Like the roof doesn't need patching. He went to be our access into heaven. And the result is our salvation. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Even here, Psalms 34 is playing in the background. I mean, it really is in the foreground, but nobody sees it. Nobody gets it. And maybe you don't get it yet. Maybe you don't get it right now. But I just, I know personally, my own life, and I know in many other lives, that there's just, that we are in this place where, like Mel said, we're, we, we're in the middle of something that we cannot manage. And that, that very well might be so on multiple levels. But can I just encourage you with this, this example from Jesus' life this morning, friends, that, that <laughs> it's not too much for Jesus to manage. And I don't know what he's trying to teach you specifically as an individual. And I'm not exactly sure what his word is for us as, as a church. I know it's, a, it's a big word. There's a, there's a lot that he's saying. And, and thus for a different sermon, different time, different place. But this morning, friends, I just want us to cast our eyes on Jesus, even in the moment where he's the most vulnerable, where he's actually hanging on the cross dead, even then, even there, he is not defeated. 
He rose again three days later from the dead. He's overqualified for death. And his bones not being broken was that first glimmer of hope. Resurrection is coming. It came for him three days later. He rose from the dead, and that is the kind of life that he gives us, eternal life with him in heaven forever. And we get to experience some of that here and now. This is what our Jesus has done for us. And that's all I wanted to point out to you this morning. And so if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, be encouraged that this is your Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're not a believer and you don't know who Jesus is and you don't know what the gospel is in its entirety, this is it. God came, put on, God became truly man, truly God. You'll never get that figured out. It's mysterious and it's beautiful. And he took the punishment and the death that we deserve to give us the life that he deserves. And there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's no other. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father God except through him. And this is what he did to make that possible. And even in the place where he is the most vulnerable and beaten, he is still winning. And that is the victory that we're working from. Amen?